2014. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon, and tonight we will review and discuss the new book by the Lebanese Christian author Karim El Kusa, Jesus the Phoenician. Now, this is a highly controversial subject. Karim's thesis is revolutionary, but quite possibly true. He sets out to prove by the Bible itself, the New and the Old Testaments, that Jesus of Nazareth was not a Jew, and that the God he called his father was actually the Canaanite El, not the Jewish YHVH, Jehovah. Well, this should be a very provocative and enlightening discussion, so as we said in the abstract, tune in and get salvation Phoenician style. Yeah. Okay. Now, Jesus the Phoenician by Karim Al-Kusa came out this year and um, it's published by Sunbury Press. And this book Quite frankly, I will say this. This book has has uh, expressed something in uh, very, very uh, detailed and uh, very convincing analysis that I have frankly suspected myself for a long, long time. And in fact, uh, I had even outlined a novel based on the same ideas that... Um, Karim has put forth in this book, uh, and relating Jesus of Nazareth right straight on back to our Canaanite seasonal ceremonies from Ugarit, um, uh, in a straight line right on through. And uh, I had planned to do this, but but you know I I, I kind of held off on on doing it because there wasn't enough there wasn't enough factual backup, and now now that uh, Karim has done all this this work and, uh, and and put this whole together. Maybe I can maybe I can actually uh, go ahead and do this. Uh, now, what he has done here, and I I just review his his thesis, and then we'll go through the way he's documented it. What he's saying, in essence, here is this: that that Jesus of Nazareth was basically not a Jew, that he was a Canaanite, that he was a Phoenician, and that uh, that his most of his disciples were also Phoenicians. And that his father in heaven that he talked to and about and preached uh, uh, to us about was actually El. El Atipan, El the Compassionate, El Alion. That's A L. It's, it's spelled E L in both the Bible and in um, and in English, but it's uh, in Phoenician. It's Alephomet. And this is the oldest word we have in in Aramaic, uh, uh, Proto-Hebrew. Uh, Phoenician. This is the oldest word we have for 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 God, and it's used all through the Bible as a synonym, and, and as a synonym for uh, for YHVH, you know, oftentimes. But it also it's used in a standalone sense, and the plural of it, of course, is Elohim. Now, another full point here before I forget to mention it, Emmanuel. You know the, the the name we often applied or is often applied to to Christ, Emmanuel, according to what Karim is saying here, is really means uh, Emmanuel Emmanuel of El. In other words, it, it, it L is at the end, Emmanuel, and L is at the end, and it is, and it is um, it, it, the way he uh, the way he describes it here. Um, is that it is a combination of, uh, of 
Iman, Iman, and Hell. And that this, yeah, this um, is the Phoenician term for uh, for the uh, you know the coming the coming prophet. The, what the Jews would call a Messiah, and they had a different word for it uh, in in Canaan. Uh, now, another thing before we go any further with this. It's necessary because this is a. If you don't know your Bible and if you're not versed in this, uh, this, this is difficult to get your get yourself to wrap your mind around because uh, we're dealing with concepts here that that are, are need need some background to be able to understand them. But one thing I, I I want to explain before we get further into it is this: we have, and this is not just. Christians and Jews and, and and but people in general, including Christians and Jews, we have a we and and um, and our Islamic brothers, we have a, a we we have a distorted perspective of what the Holy Land, what Palestine was really like culturally at the time of Jesus. We we have a very distorted perspective of it. We we and that perspective of it is dictated by both the Old Testament and the New Testament that we have. And we tend to, uh, as a result of uh, our religious training and that which is accepted or more or less accepted by society, we, we have a very distorted idea of what was actually going on in, in, in a cultural or religious sense in that area. And until we remove the blinders from our eyes and look at it clearly uh, and uh, realize what was really going on, we, we, we just can't grasp this concept that Karim is putting across. Now, let me use an example. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson, um, uh, who was a, a, you know, a hippie, uh, a writer during the hippie era, he wrote a great big three-decker trilogy called the Illuminatus Trilogy and uh, kind of a psychedelic, mind-bending sort of a thing. And in, in the Illuminatus trilogy, he proposed the concept of a, a punctuation mark that was invented by some Dutchman back in the uh, 17th century. And this was a punctuation mark that you put around a sentence or around a word or around a phrase. It, it was a kind of a, like a little bracket, an offset little bracket, but it's a special punctuation mark. And he called this punctuation mark the Fenord, F-N-O-R-D, Fenord. And what it was, the intention of it was, was whenever you wanted to say something that wasn't true or was a distortion of the facts, you put Fenords around it to indicate that this was really not, not what it was like. This was, this was um, a specious statement. But, so, according to the way Wilson was plotting this story, uh, the Fenards were used for, um, for, you know, 50 years or so, but then they became, uh, uh, they, they were continued to be used, but nobody could see them. People were so conditioned to believe what they read that they couldn't see these little marks that were actually in there, and they blotted them out. Their minds were, were, were conditioned. And then one of the characters in, in the book, he, he's uh, he was sitting on a park bench, and he's reading the newspaper, and all of a sudden this light just dawns, and he suddenly jumps up, and he throws his newspaper up, and he says, I can see the Fenords. Oh, I can see the Fenards. Well, this <laughs> this book of, of Jesus the Phoenician is it, it, it will once you read it, and you will really, really you can read. Then you read the New Testament, the Old Testament, and you can see the Fenards. I mean, you will you will be able to see the Fenards because that's what that's what Kareem has done all through this book is to show you where the Fenards are. And which is, and he, you know, he claims he's not a scholar, but actually he's done a very, very, very meticulous job. Now, I'm not trying to say that, that 
Kareem is a, uh, is, is a, uh, is a punctilious academic. No, he's not. And he is, and it's kind of slanted, and we'll get into, we'll get into some of the criticisms that academics would make uh, of it later on. We'll, we'll, we'll be fair to the academics who will make a few criticisms. But, but basically, Kareem has, has really shown you the Fenords, and if you see the Fenords, then you can see how the Holy Land really was at the time of the birth of Jesus, whom we call the Christ. Okay? Now, here's what really, what was really going on. In the first place, uh, Kareem establishes, Ezra and King Cyrus of Persia wrote the Bible. They were the ones that, that put it together. There, it was it was put together for political purposes, and and of course when they put it together, they they really really loaded it with fanars. And it, 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 the purpose of doing this was that Ezra, a Persian, a very 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 astute, he he his empire of course included Palestine. So what he wanted to do was to take these very very um, uh, religious minded. Uh, nepotistic, uh, uh, very tight-knit clan of people that he had been displaced over into his area in in Babylon and take them back and put them down in the middle of Jerusalem and put them in charge as as his clients, as his, 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 not exactly covert because uh, but his the, he he had a reason for doing this and and he put them there and then they would have that temple mount and they would and he would help them build this temple second temple and then they would be the spiritual and religious control of an area which he knew was uh, was a, a crazy quilt of tribes that that believed similar things, but they were all, and, you know, like the Middle East, they were all each other's throats. They, were, they, they couldn't agree on anything. But Cyrus and Ezra wrote the book, and they knew, Cyrus and Ezra both knew, that if they had the book, and they had the Temple Mount, and they had the Temple, that they would be the religious and cultural power in, in Palestine. So that's what they did. Now, some of the things that uh, some of the fenors that they that they used, and by the way, Karim does not use this term. He doesn't use. He, he I don't think he's ever read the Illuminatus trilogy. It's not the sort of thing he would read, probably. So he doesn't use. Uh, he's not using the fenoric term, but I'm using it to explain uh, the process here. So they had the book. And the faithful could not see the Fenords, of course, and we can't see them today either. We can see them now, but 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 uh, if we're enlightened. Uh, so what they did, they 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 did all kinds of uh, shenanigans with that book. Uh, you know, Moses was uh, <laughs> actually the last of the Hyksos, although Kareem doesn't say that, but that, that's true. But uh, and and uh, and the story of Moses and the bulrushes. Hey, they got that from Sargon. Sargon was floated down in bulrushes. Uh, the stories about Solomon. They got that from the last king of uh, the last king of Babylon. Several of the stories about Solomon, and they put this stuff together. They got they got Noah from from uh, the Babylonian the Babylonian story of the flood and Noah and the ark they got that from this they put all this stuff together uh, and and so they had the book for virtually everyone in that whole region this was the controlling book the big book and then of course that temple that mount Mount Moriah that was where the old sun temple for the uh, for the Canaanites, you know, remember Melchizedek, uh, which means actually uh, Malachzadik, the king of uh, the priest king of of, uh, of of Salem, Jerusalem, and um, so they got that. They uh, they they the Babylonians tore that temple down, but that temple wasn't Solomon. I mean Solomon. They, Solomon. Uh, according to what Karim is saying, there never was a Solomon. I think there was, actually. I, I disagree with him on that. I think there was a Solomon, but he certainly wasn't uh, wasn't a primary worshiper of, of uh, Yahweh, 
you know, whoever Solomon or, or the king like him was, was, was certainly a devotee of hell. And that's obvious from, from the Bible the way it is, um, even with the Phenars. That, uh, because Hiram of Tyre, the Phoenician, uh, he, uh, when, when Solomon says, let's build a, I want to build a temple to the Lord. And, and Hiram of Tyre says, praise the Lord. And, of course, in both cases, we're talking about hell. So they built the temple to hell. Now, my original temple, and here again I'm adding something to, to what Kareem is, is saying. That original temple was very much like the Kaaba in, in Mecca. The big square building, only the priests could go inside, and the big court outside where everybody did sacrifices and, and labored and, and washed themselves and, 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 and you know, offered sacrifice outside. But the priests went inside, big square building, and inside, in the Kaaba, if you remember, is there was, before Muhammad cleared it out, there was a great big Asherah right in the center. That was a lot. That was their version of a knot. Uh, and that big mother goddess, Asherah, in the center, and then all the way around were all the gods and the little boxes, the little arcs, the little boxes for the gods of the tribes. In each tribe in Arabia, they had their, their little little, uh, their little boxes, their little shrines, their little arcs, all the way around the circle around the mother goddess. And that was what was in the Kaaba. And that's the same darn thing that was in so-called Solomon's so-called temple. And, and except that probably there was a statue of El, and in the center of that temple, there was probably a statue of El, Bull El, and, and Asherat, and his, uh, his, his consort, Asherat of the Sea. And then surrounding that were all of the little gods, possibly including Yahweh, because he was a little tribal god in a box, and he was a tribe, the tribe of Judah. The only two tribes that were taken off to captivity were Judah and Benjamin. Now, if you check up on the history of the tribe of Benjamin, you find out that that tribe was completely reconstituted. They were slaughtered by the tribe of Judah and supposedly other Canaanite tribes, actually the lost tribes. The other tribes, and this is some, something, this is why we're you know, breaking the mold here and looking at this thing the way it really was. The other tribes, the so-called ten lost tribes, they're all Canaanites. They don't worship uh, YHVH. They worship El. And, and the tribe of Benjamin, uh, back before the captivity, before even before Solomon's temple was built, the tribe of Benjamin, uh, did a horrible, horrible thing, uh, and I'm not going to go into it. It's a gruesome, grisly story, and 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 I don't want to. I don't want to go into it. But anyway, they did something horrible, and all the tribes ganged up on them and wiped them out until there was only about a few dozen of them left. And then all of a sudden, they thought, well, we got to have twelve tribes, so let's uh, let them go out and grab some Canaanite, uh, Canaanite girls, and repopulate the tribe. So they did. So then, of course, after that, they were under the control of of, of Judah and the Levites. Well, that then Judah, the Levites, and and Benjamin, that, that they were the ones carried off into captivity, and they're the ones that that were there with Ezra and Cyrus writing the book and planning to come back and doing all that. Now, the, the, the Samaritans, you know, the good Samaritan, you heard that one. Well, the Samaritans, they got there a little bit later, and they had their own version of the book. Oh, boy, the cursed Cuthians. And they, and, and of course, the, because they had their own version of the book and where they got it, hmm, who knows. But anyway, so they settled in just north, northeast of Jerusalem. And the, the the Judeans hated them and despised them because they were they had a version of the same book. But everybody else, all the rest of those tribes, were all basically Canaanite, had been and still were. Now that that is the picture. Now, but then we have to add the Romans. So in come the Romans, and they take over. So the Romans take over, but being good politicians and you know being good empire uh, wielders and whatever, they they take a malleable, rather decadent Jewish king Herod, and they make him nominally the king of of uh, Palestine, Judea, and whatever, and of Roman the Roman protectorate, and then this uh, his rule and is enforced by the Roman army. And he has a governor there that he has to report to, but he's still the king. 
so what we have here is a it's a plebiscite. It, it's it's the Romans uh, and and the and, and the Jews under Herod uh, sort of running the whole shebang, you know, uh, and, and trying to keep a lid on all of these tribes that hate each other. And 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 well, it, 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 you can really readily see. What's going on in the Middle East today is just about the same kind of thing. Up there in Syria, my God, there's that little tribe that Assad is Syria. There's a little tribe, but they're trying to run the whole country. The rest of the Syrians hate them, and and, uh, and so he's being attacked by by he's being attacked by everybody, all the other tribes, including the including the Druze, and they're all going after him. Uh, and it was the same sort of thing. But the Romans, the Romans were classical pagans. Okay, not only that. Caesar was God, okay. Caesar is the living God, the God on earth. He's, he's like the he's like the Mikado. <laughs> you got to work. You have to hail Caesar, and you have to hail Caesar and bow your head and say hail Caesar. If you don't, that's treason. And you know, so so everybody, so being classical pagans and wanting to have peace for economic purposes in the country the Romans are enforcing a certain degree of religious freedom. Yeah, you know, everybody can do their own thing, providing they hail Caesar and pay taxes and, and keep quiet and don't cause trouble. And, uh, well, of course, naturally, uh, the, the Jews are running the temple. And, uh, and what they have to put up with these other tribes, including the Samaritans, whom they don't like, because they don't like the Samaritans' version of the book. And then there's the Phoenicians, and the Phoenicians are Canaanites, and, they, and, and of course, they, they're still they're still abominating. <laughs> but but the Jews have to, they have to, to a degree, put up with it. That's the situation. That's the way it was. And, and it, it's very hard for us. We've been so conditioned to think of Jesus up there in Galilee, uh, you know, and all oh, he they're all they're all devout Jews and all that and he's and he's uh uh preaching in the synagogue and he's a rabbi and all that. We 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 were so conditioned to think all of this that think that it was all just one big uh, happy uh Jewish family that didn't like the Romans and, and all that. But that's not what it was at all. So uh, Kareem is actually, he's, he's very, very right in this. Now, he goes into a great deal of effort here to establish that Jesus really was not of the house of David and that he did not, he was not Jewish, and that, that Mary uh, and Joseph were not Jewish and all of that. Some of that, I, as I say later, will 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 question some of that. But and his disciples, he 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 establishes that that only uh, Judas and Nathan were um, were probably Jewish. The rest of them were Canaanite. Most of them fishermen, like Peter up there in the Sea of Galilee, uh, um, and. Uh, the the uh, frankly he now now understand too that this this frankly if this book had been written by a Muslim I would I would be very suspicious I would think that this would be you know, would be anti uh, Christian Jewish propaganda but no it's written by a devout Christian and Karim is a devout Christian and even though he's a devout Christian he um is scrupulously honest enough to uh research up the probable aspect of the virgin birth and here's how he he reconstructs it oh he's in favor of the virgin birth too by the way uh and he reconstructs it by by uh, mary 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 yam mary yam yam being the god of the sea the Phoenician god of the sea you remember in seasonal ceremonies, into the Gulf of Yom we gaze, where even the gods must die. Yeah, well, anyway. So Miri, Miri Yom, uh and 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 Joseph, uh, and Joseph, according to this uh, theory, is a Phoenician priest, and Miriam is a temple uh, uh, female acolyte, and they do a 
a they do what amounts to a hieros gamos in in a Phoenician temple, and yet the way they they choose to describe it is that the archangel Gabriel appears and and uh, in a light, and then Joseph brings in bread and wine like Melchizedek, and they have communion, and Mary Mary uh, is enlightened and 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 receives the Annunciation and all that. But that's that's if you're if you're a little more pragmatic perhaps than 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 Kar- he's allowing you. What Karima is doing is here is he's allowing you to be pragmatic and say, ah, uh-huh, that's a straight out Harrow's Gamos. In other words, what we would what we in modern terms call making a moonshine. And and so Jesus this explains according to to Karim. Uh, this explains why James is was called the brother of Jesus, but James was in fact, according to the way Karim has it worked out, James was in fact Joseph's Joseph's son by a previous marriage, which would make him Jesus's. Uh, and that's that's very possible. James, by the way, and he was really no doubt about it. James was Jewish, and or and. And he didn't convert to Judaism or anything, but he was because he ran the church, he ran the Christian church in in Jerusalem after Jesus died. And as you probably all remember, uh, he and Paul had that big debate. Paul wanted Paul wanted uh, to. Preach to the Gentiles and, and exempt the Gentiles from all of its various Jewish laws, including circumcision. And James argued vehemently against that. He wanted to keep keep Christianity a Jewish sect, at least in in his jurisdiction, in his in his um, bishopric. He wanted to keep it a, a Jewish sect, and he wanted everything. But he gave in on circumcision. Well, and Paul, of course, here's another case. Paul's supposed to be Jewish, and according to the Bible, and yet Paul was a Roman citizen. He was born in in, in Phoenicia, and and uh, and yet supposedly Jewish, maybe not. But uh, Paul certainly uh, uh, was persecuting the Christians. There's no doubt about that. Until he had his 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 epiphany on the road to Damascus, you know, or whatever. But um, it should be noted, and as Karim does note. That and here's another another one of the Phanords. Hebrew was only a dialect of Aramaic. Everybody in that area, everybody spoke Aramaic. And Hebrew, uh, what they called Hebrew in those days, was just it was just a dialect, a priestly dialect of, of Aramaic. And and you know, hey, the Zohar was supposedly derived from an Aramaic manuscript. It wasn't actually. Moise de Leon wrote it himself in 1360, but he said that it came from a second century Aramaic manuscript. That's what he wrote in. And that's what Jesus spoke, Aramaic. In fact, that movie that that, uh, that um, Gibson made, um, that, um, that, that movie, they, they, they all spoke Aramaic, except the Romans. Uh, but uh, that's what they spoke. And and, and Jesus uh, preached in Aramaic. And if he ever wrote anything, he wrote it in Aramaic. And and also uh, the other major language that they were using was Greek. There was a lot. That's another thing. Alexander had been through that area, conquered Tyre and all, and he had Hellenized that whole area to a great degree. Now, um, brings up a point, too. The Phoenician religion, even though they still have the seasonal ceremonies, they still, uh, they still resurrected the, uh, the dying god, and, and, and oh, you know, just the way they did it and we did it, and, and, and back uh, um, in 1500 B.C., they still were still doing it. However, that religion of theirs had evolved, considerably evolved. And yet, even so, even so, we have to consider that that the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Baal, 
or his son Aliyin, or later Adon or Adonis, and you know, and they had various names of what they referred to. Uh, the the yearly death and resurrection of what we in the West would call the Green Man uh, was related to and and you know, perhaps influenced by or cognate with uh, the the death of Osiris. And yet, on the other hand, the difference was that 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 Baal was resurrected uh, and came back to Earth each time. Whereas Jesus, both Osiris and Jesus, were resurrected, appeared on earth, and then went up to heaven. And there's not too much difference on that, because where does Baal go after he's resurrected? He goes back up to heaven, and, you know, he's the thunder god, whatever. But the key to this is that, that the death and resurrection. And there was nothing, nothing resembling this in Jewish uh, scripture, mythology, or anything like that. Nothing. This was strictly Egyptian, Phoenician, and and then later on Greek. And so this this whole this this is one of the key points that uh, that Karim makes is that uh, that this the idea of, of the dying and resurrected and resurrecting God is a Phoenician idea. And he also points out, and this is a very telling case, that El, the over-god of the Phoenicians, was always referred to as El the Compassionate. El the, the, and, and, his, and his consort, Pasherat of the Sea, was, was the nurturing, compassionate goddess. And, and the only thing that El did that was at all... Naughty, no, I just say naughty. L came down one time, and this is the oldest, a fifteen hundred year old Ugarit uh, story. L came down to Earth one time, and um, and you know, on the beach, uh, he was walking along the beach, and he and he ran into a couple of beautiful young ladies, uh, skinny dipping, and he cooked them a chicken, and then he had his fun uh, with them after cooking them the chicken, and then he went back up to heaven. Oh, what does that tell you? You know, I mean, here was a, here was a God who, who uh, this wonderful, compassionate God for everybody. And by the way, He was God for everybody. He was not just a God for a chosen people. He was He was the older God of everywhere of everything. And uh, He also, uh, yeah, he, he occasionally got drunk and and and, uh, and, and enjoyed himself. Uh, but but other than that, He was compassionate. And in fact, that was compassionate. But he he was referred to continually as 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 El the Compassionate, Latipad, you know, Elion, El. Whereas on the other hand, Jehovah is exactly the opposite. He's a bachelor. He doesn't uh, have a wife. He doesn't get drunk. He doesn't get uh, over the girls on the beach and roast chickens. I mean, he doesn't do any... He, and, and he's vengeful. In fact, at one time or another, he calls himself Jealous. That's his name, is Jealous. And he is strictly the god for, for the Jews. That's it. That's all. And he's their, he's their god. And, their, and, of course, when he first gets started, obviously, he's, he's, he's there are other gods, obviously, because even the Ten Commandments are saying, you know, put no other god before me. But uh, so there are obviously there were other gods, but he was theirs, and and uh, so this is uh, El, who was still very much being being worshipped at the time of Jesus. El was obviously the god that Jesus was calling his father. Now, um, this uh, so uh, uh, Karim is establishing this, but he's doing it very carefully. He's doing it very carefully and doing it out of primarily out of the Old Testament as it as we have it and the Synoptic Gospels. He gets into the he gets into the apocryphal Gospels, the, uh, the the Gospel of James and a few things like that. But but, but mainly his his proofs are coming out of the Synoptic Gospels and the Old Testament. Now, um, one of the things, of course, he really emphasizes is that that. 
um, uh, the, the, when Jesus confronts Pontius Pilate and and, and, and all, uh, Jesus, you know, he he never says that he is that he's Jewish. In fact, he says he he really implies he's not, and he implies that, and he strongly implies that that, that he is not the king of the Jews, and he and he uh, he implies he he won't. Uh, he won't. Uh, his, he keeps saying that his God is is uh, of another kingdom, and and uh, and that he's he's not the uh, he's not the Jewish Messiah, but he is uh, he is the um, you know the messenger of the higher of the of the over God of everybody. Makes that very clear, and so uh, the fact that. Uh, that the Jews, uh, that the, the uh, Sanhedrin turned him over to to, uh, to Pilate and asked asked Pilate to execute him, indicates that no, he wasn't Jewish. However, um, I'm going to say this: that um, even though Karim is being staunch in here about Jesus having no Jewish blood at all, uh, I think that's an exaggeration because. Uh, you know, even in the Bible, it says several times he, you know, he didn't really want to go to Judea, and, and when he, when he, you know, was going to go down there, his disciples told him, "Don't go, don't go to Judea; they'll stone you. Don't go, don't go." But he did because he thought he had to. But there was, they did try somehow or other, either his disciples or him or both tried to spread the word that he was of the house of David. They, they, I'm sure they did that because otherwise they wouldn't have even let him in. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't have even gotten started. And and certainly he couldn't have gone into the temple and turned over the tables of the money changers and all that. Maybe, but, you know, I mean, that, unless, he, unless he had some kind of Jewish bona fide or at least at least claimed to, he, he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't be able to, uh, to do anything. So, so I think that there was. I, I would think that uh, they, they were, uh, that they at least were trying to claim, uh, probably trying to claim uh, uh, very much so, like you know McGregor Mathers in the Golden Dawn. He really wasn't McGregor. He was Samuel Liddell Mathers, but he 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 was he wanted to be a Scottish laird so badly that he that he that he managed to figure out some kind of a, a distant relationship to the clan McGregor so he could call himself Samuel McGregor Mathers and be the Laird, you see. I think that's probably what what Jesus did. He, he probably, because, ah, you know, really, nobody in Europe can trace their genealogy back any further than the Crusades. They can. And nobody in, in Judea Believe it, and nobody could trace their genealogy any back any further than than the captivity. I mean, this David, the house of David, and and, and Solomon, and Samuel, and so that's that's all. That's pretty much a myth, and and uh, it's a it's a carefully constructed myth, and uh, so if you know. It, as we said, it, 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 that 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 temple in Jerusalem, that first temple, that first temple was a temple to El, and and it probably hosted a number of tribal gods. We already have the model for that. We we you know we know how that works, and and uh, so uh, Solomon, uh, King Solomon was whoever King Solomon was or wasn't, was a a powerful Canaanite. King, who who allowed you know the uh, the the little box with Yahweh in it to be put in the temple, and maybe gave them a particular time when they could priests could go in there and they could they could have their their day or their hour or their whatever, and that that's about as much reality as we can probably we can assume for it. So so Jesus, when you start talking about those those House of David lineages. Yeah, they could have. They could have, and they probably did make up something or assume something in that regard. And let's put it this way: on the book, that book, what we call the Bible, what they call the Torah, what we uh, New Testament and Old Testament, that book is tremendously powerful. 
It still is. That book has its own reality, whether you can challenge it. You can say, okay, it's myth and all that, but it has, oh, it has its own reality. It has tremendous power. And whoever is in line with and and wielding the book like a, like an authority that is has the authority of the book uh, is uh, is very powerful in the in the religious area. So I think, and I think Karim uh, Karim would probably agree that that book was influential all over all over um, Palestine in the Canaanite areas too. Now to bring that up. Uh, Karim also mentions, and this is dear to my heart, he mentions the book of Enoch, the original book of Enoch. That's what we would call Ethiopian Enoch. And if uh, if Rob Sullivan's listening, he's going to enjoy this, uh, that that book of Enoch was actually Canaanite, was actually Phoenician. And that Enoch, of course, is was not a Jewish, but a, but a Canaanite prophet. And and interest and he got a very good argument for that because Mount Hermon, where all of those fallen angels came down in their big flying saucer, you know, all come down and, and landed up there and and squatted on top of the mountain and said, hmm, what are we going to teach these people? That, that mountain, Mount Hermon, is way up there in Lebanon. Is way oh yeah, and and so this. Yeah, Enoch, the book of Enoch, even though we ended up in order to find an original copy, we had to go all the way to Ethiopia, but but that book was very probably, as Karim uh, says, very probably written in in uh, Phoenicia, and it is it is Canaanite book. So that's, that's definitely, we can say that's Canaanite scripture. And uh, Enoch is is certainly, uh, and Enoch is equated. He equates Enoch with Taudus, uh, and and uh, and Taudus, of course, uh, and 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 with uh, we would call Kusor, uh, with the the Canaanite gods. Now, by the way, I want to mention um, that people have wondered. Uh, some people have wondered, and I. I've used as a magical name and I have for many, many years. Uh, I, I used Thabion as my magical name. Now, Thabion was, according to the Phoenician uh, philosopher, writer, Sancho Neathan, Thabion was the first, the first hierophant of the Phoenicians in ancient times. And that's where I got that. So it doesn't, it's not a knockoff on Therion, which means beast in Greek. It's not, uh, so I'm not trying to, trying to uh, go on the coattails of the master Therion or anything like that. Now, Fabian comes from Sancho Neathan. And uh, so let's, uh, and let's talk a little bit about Sancho Neathan. Sancho Neathan is our other, our other main source on, Phoenician uh, philosophy and, and religion and, and, and mythology. And we only have it in fragmentary form and, and copied, uh, and we have a copy, a later copy, uh, that, uh, from, from, uh, from a, uh, um, a Greco, um, a Greco-Phoenician um uh, writer from Biblos, uh, Eusebius. He he was the uh, scribe who, uh, well, he was the compiler who summarized the writings of Sancho de Atha. And we get so we get uh, it's, it's about 500 years after Ukarit. So it's about 1,000. Although they, some people say later, some people say 500 BC. Uh, but now I think. The thinking is probably around, you know, 800, about around the time of Solomon. Whereas, you want to put this in biblical perspective, Ugarit, where we get our original seasonals, uh, Ugarit, that's 1500 B.C., that's that's before Abraham, that's way, way back. Uh, and, and uh, but Sancho de Atten is around, and Melchizedek, that's that's about the same time as, as Ugarit. Um, that's 
Well, Abraham, Abraham, you know, his communion from Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was Canaanite. He was a priest of El. And that same temple right there in Jerusalem, that big, that big box, stone box up on Mount Moriah, that was Melchizedek's temple. And he gave Abraham, Abraham, who was Abraham at that time, the first communion. And now, of course, how many times does it say in the New Testament that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek? This is another telling argument. And Melchizedek is obviously pre Yahweh. He's obviously a Canaanite, obviously a priest of hell. All right. Now, essentially often, we have this this fragmentary uh, short summary of his, his work, uh, but uh, unfortunately, uh, a German writer by the name of Wiegenfield came out back in 1836, I believe. Wiegenfield came up with a Sancho Neapin hoax and published what he claimed was an original manuscript that they found that some Portuguese guy had sent him and all of this. And this was the real story of Sancho Neapin or the Sancho Neapin's writings. And so in 1836 and 37 and all the way up through until Wagenfield was revealed as a forger, uh, Europe and America, we, we wanted a great big Phoenician chick. And oh, these are the mysteries of the Phoenicians and all that. And, and uh, but they didn't have Ugarit at that time. They didn't, they, we didn't have Ugarit. So this was, this whole, oh, this was, and of course, just off Flaubert with Salamo, he drew on this and everybody else, you know, and whatever. And they had a huge Phoenician um, uh, fad going with this. And then it was revealed that this was a forgery and, and Wigan Field had made it up. So ever since then, uh, what we do have of Sancho Neapin has had a sort of a stigma on it. And, and people, you know, just... Uh, the whole scholarly community just said, oh, well, we don't know anything about Phoenicians, forget them. But then, of course, in uh, the um, in the 19, late 1930s, they discovered this huge library of Ugarit, and by the time the war was over, in the 1950s, they started translating it, and by the 1960s, they were available in English, and that's about, you know, by the 1970s, we were writing a season of finishes seasonal ceremonies, which we've been which we've been performing ever since. And and now I want to tell you something about that. And Kareem mentions this too. These ceremonies, the same ones that we were that we reconstructed, were being practiced all the way up to three hundred years after Jesus died. Up there in Afaka, where the where the water comes out of the mountain and and hits the gorge and turns red, where Jesse Weston said was the origin of the Holy Grail. These ceremonies, the Adonia especially, the summer ceremony where the, where the God is slain, had been practiced all the way up to 300 years after Jesus died. And St. Chrysostom raised a gang of tough guys and mercenaries, and they went and slaughtered all of these devotees up there, and that was the end. That was the last Adonia until we re- we resurrected them uh, in 1974. Now, uh, so consequently, this book, uh, even though I can, you know, we can make some we can make some criticisms of it, um, but even so, I am very, 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 very pleased with this. And he's written another one. Uh, he's written a novel. Uh, which may have even more interesting speculations that he uh, are called uh, the Phoenician Key, and I certainly want to get that and read it. And uh, and you know, we want to we want to really support uh, uh, Kareem in, in in this. And uh, it's excellent, excellent, excellent uh, book here. Now, you know, um, in to be to be fair, I think I think there was. It's reasonable to say that there was some interpenetration. Uh, Jesus probably, I think personally, Jesus probably did have, uh, could claim or did try to claim some some Jewish blood, and and uh, that seems fairly logical. Uh, so I think Kareem is, is being a little too exclusive in that regard. Other than that, um, and 
and uh, his also too he he seems to think Marcion the the uh, the Christian uh, mystic Marcion who uh, was a a Gnostic, but but it was a strange version of Gnostic, Christian Gnostic, strange version of Gnosticism. Uh, he seems to think that Marcion is is a, a good successor, and I don't, I, I I can't go along with that because I think I think the Hermetic philosophy is much much closer, much closer to Sancho Neathan, much closer to to um, uh, to the original seasonals, and uh, Hermetic philosophy works to me. Uh, it looks like that works much better in the in the Phoenician area than Marcion, although definitely Jesus certainly fits in. And and Jesus uh, and I was kind of joking a little bit with uh, with one of our one of my Christian colleagues uh, who in our in our order, and I said, well now yeah well, now that now that Kareem has done all this all this. Work for us here. We can we can we can even call ourselves Phoenicia Phoenicia Christians, because <laughs> we can we can have Jesus. Uh, we can we can include we can finally include Jesus in in uh, in the old uh, tradition that goes all the way from from Hiram of Tyre all the way on up through uh, you know to the resurrection. And so next week we will delve into the deeper secrets of the Book of Enoch in relation to into the Phoenician pantheon and uh, and also by that time uh, we'll have some more material on this and so next week secrets of the Phoenicians and uh, until then good magic